We all had a code name. Everybody had, you know. What was yours? Dirk. I can't remember the last name. <laughs> but <laughs> you never. Nobody in Vegas uses real names. Oh, you know. Welcome to this edition of Unscripted, episode number 399, and it is my favorite episode of the week. It is our Free Forum Friday. It's a great way to end the week. Chris goes on to our Twitter page, finds interesting things that people are talking about. We banter about and go on to the next topic. So again, a great way to finish the week. A lot less lighter. We talk about sports, but then we also mingle in some a little bit of everything. Again, We've had and we've talked about Ann Coulter on this edition of Freeform Friday, and I saw. I got to tell you, I saw the uh, the uh, last weekend they had the Comedy Central Channel had all of the the roast on. Yeah, oh, I know. And please don't. Did you see the Alec Baldwin one? Yeah. Okay. Don't tell me. Uh, I have watched most of those older roasts. I have literally seen over fifty times. Right. Each. Right. I can. I've got a lot of them memorized. Almost yeah, yeah. every line. Uh, I've 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 got the Alec Baldwin ready okay, to well, watch, I'll but shut my mouth yeah, I don't one. want any spoilers. But can uh, I just say one thing about that? Sure. I was very surprised that one of the panelists for Alec Baldwin's was Robert De Niro. Why? I just didn't think that. I just didn't think that. Well, I, I'm not. I, I give it away if I'm gonna. If I tell you what I'm gonna, I'll, I we'll have this conversation after you see. The Alec Baldwin roast, and you tell me what you thought about about Robert De Niro, who I have great respect for. I've had the opportunity to meet him uh, in Las Vegas years ago. Um, we had a family tragedy um, involving a family friend down in Las Vegas, and Mr. De Niro showed up at this guy's house with a bouquet of roses after wow. after his wife died, and it was on a movie set. They were shooting Casino at this time in the early '90s in Vegas on the Las Vegas Hilton. They had a they had a they had a uh, connection with Las Vegas Country Club, and this person you've heard me talk about Uncle Richie before. His wife died at Christmas in 1992, and De Niro. They were shooting in this neighborhood. That was De Niro's house in the movie Casino, and uh, Richie's wife passed, and De Niro heard about it, and he personally came over to Richie's house without anybody, without any of his people. He came over himself, obviously introduced himself. We knew who the hell he was. It's Robert De Niro sitting at Uncle Richie's front door. He passes his condolences and gives the family a bouquet of red roses. I still to this day can't believe, and I have unbelievable respect for for Robert De Niro for that. It it was a tearful moment, and um, I just was surprised that a man that has done as much as he has, I just never... He handled himself well, but I just never thought I would see him in that kind of form. That's all. Hmm. Well, I know that uh, Alec Baldwin and Robert De Niro, I mean, they're both, you know, uh, big time actors and really in the industry. They're both left leaning. They both hate Trump. And of course, mm-hmm. Baldwin's been gotten big, uh, you know, imitating him. Right. And uh, and I have to say, by the way, I have never seen anyone do a good imitation of Donald Trump, in my opinion. I like there. Everyone else, even Frank Caliendo, who does lots of great ones. I don't think his Trump is very good. 
I have not. And you'd think that he, Trump is so over the top. You'd think that he'd be someone that people could imitate. I've seen some people do okay ones, but I've never seen anyone do a really good Donald Trump impression, in my opinion. But I think that I can see a lot of similarities. Because even though Alec Baldwin is known for playing really right-wing characters, like on, uh, you know, Coffee is for Closers, right. and... Uh, and then on 30 Rock, he's this, you know, far right wing Republican type guy. Correct. Yep. You know, he, he's known for that. He's not actually like that in real right. life. Right. And so uh, I, I can see a lot of similarities. I'm not surprised that Alec Baldwin and Robert De Niro would be friends. I'm not surprised that they were friends. I was surprised that Mr. De Niro was at that kind. I mean, you're sitting there as one of the greatest at living American actors. And you're sitting on the same podium with a Jeff Ross. And I, I know I know he's the, the roast master and I get it and I like his humor and I like watching him, but it's just here you've got an American icon. I you know, again, I want you to see it and then we'll talk about it. And, okay. and it just it just didn't see to me, it just didn't seem the forum, if you will, for a man that's accomplished and revered as Robert De Niro. Well, maybe they should do a roast of Robert De Niro. Maybe. maybe. But I mean Well, they started roasting him too. You'll Oh well oh, everyone on the dais gets roasted at all of them, but uh, I mean, you know very well in the '70s, the the names at the roasts were not small potatoes. Sinatra and oh my God. these they are, were they were the guys in the industry. These were like the biggest stars in the world. Absolutely, no question. Roasts. And I mean, and I fully support um, you know that. I mean, I I don't think that roasts are this uh, low brow thing. Even though the humor is as raunchy and as racy and as controversial as it can possibly be, correct. Uh, it, that doesn't mean to me that it's a, a lower brow or a lower class thing or that it should all be all D-list celebrities. Uh, I've seen lots of them where they've had really big celebrities. So uh, I'm, I'm glad he went to that because I, I, would, I would, wouldn't be that impressed with people who think that a roast is beneath them. Fair so, enough. So I'm glad, I'm glad he was there. But okay, anyway, so uh, let's get going with some Freeform Friday here. For the win at For the Win. Nick Saban is over these early midday kickoffs. I wish that some of the TV people and people from our conference would come at any stadium in these kinds of conditions and know what it's that it's really difficult for the fans. Well, let me tell you something. Um, last week during the Wisconsin-Michigan game, it was announced by Fox. Fox has taken a gamble this year by putting all their big marquee games in that early time slot. And they're... they're um, their recipe is working because Fox has had the best numbers. Since Fox got into the college football game, they've had the best uh, ratings in the time slot that they are now in regard to. They used to have their number one team, Gus Johnson and uh, Joel Klatt, later on in the afternoon or in the evening. Well, they switched those two guys to the, they call it noontime Fox noontime, some bullshit like that, but it's working. Their numbers have been fabulous. And uh, their numbers last week for the Wisconsin-Michigan game were the highest in the history of Fox doing college football. So I think that formula is going to stay for a while. And obviously, uh, Coach Saban and his team can win a game at any time on the clock. It doesn't freaking matter. And I just think stop complaining about it and just play your freaking schedule. <laughs> I I feel I, like I thought if there was anything that maybe Nick Saban could say that you would support, I, I was like, well, maybe it's this. I have no idea, but uh, I, I just like how this guy can't say. And I, I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong about anything. I'm just thinking it's funny that no matter what this guy does or says, I know you're never seemingly impressed well, with this I, guy. I, I you know what. 
Nick Saban did wonderful things at, at Michigan State and did wonderful things, obviously, and won a national championship at LSU. He was a total bomb in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He was just overmatched over whatever. He just he just didn't seem enthused about it at all. He's come to Alabama and has made that a national power. And Alabama is Alabama and Clemson are the two best college football teams in the land and have been pretty much for the last five years. Saban has won five national championships at Alabama. But God damn it, coach, everybody has to play at different times. Sometimes you have a noon kickoff. Sometimes you have an 8 p.m. kickoff. Sometimes there's four o'clock in the afternoon kickoffs. It doesn't matter. Play your goddamn schedule and stop complaining about it. You're still going to get good, great recruits. You're still going to get great crowds down there in Birmingham, Alabama, because there ain't nothing else to do in Birmingham, Alabama. And I just wish we didn't feel like we had to genuflect when you talk about Nick Saban. He puts his goddamn pants on the same way we do one leg at a time. Yep. Okay, uh, also from For the Win. So now, did I see this right? Did Bryce Harper, who now plays for the Phillies, go to Washington and get eliminated by the Nationals and the Nationals made the playoffs? Oh, man. Yeah. I, I mean, he's And got, here's the yeah. funny thing. Wow. Here's the funny wow. thing. Wow. You know what I feel about and, and what I feel in regard to Philly sports fans. Yeah. This will show you. And I, this guy's from Las Vegas, but he ain't the sharpest knife in a drawer. He says after he gets booed and all this other stuff and Washington clinches on their home field and they beat the Phillies with Harper in the lineup and they go to the playoffs. Last year they had Harper in the playoffs or had Harper on their team. They didn't make the playoffs. This year Washington saves $330 million over the next 12 years and they make the playoffs without this, you know. But here's the thing. After he gets booed and he talks, you know, derogatorily toward the Washington fans, he says, Bryce Harper says, and I quote, I'm going to go home to the great Philly fans and get that love. Um, Let me tell you something, Bryce, you freaking moron. They don't love you there because they just paid you one-twelfth of your $330 million contract this year and you lost to the other team you just left. People forget. People forget that Bryce Harper got booed on opening day in Philadelphia this this <laughs> season because he struck out four times on opening day. And they booed him then, and they'll boo him right now. So I just got a kick out of Bryce Harper saying, and I know this is part of knowing who's buttering your bread. I get that. But if he thinks the Philly fans are the best and most compassionate fans, he's got a lot of learning to do. Yeah, his direct quote was, uh, in response to being heckled, it's just not right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuck you. Like, I, can you imagine, like, how much must those diehard Nationals fans who were in attendance enjoyed that? Making the playoffs, seeing him, like, that must have been as good as it gets. Hey, other listen, than a World I'm going to tell you right now, I have no connectivity to the Philadelphia Phillies or the Washington Nationals or the New York Mets or any team on the eastern seaboard of the United States. But you know what? I enjoyed watching the Washington Nationals clinch when that piece of human garbage was out in right field for his new team. <laughs> oh, man. That must have been so satisfying for those guys. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for those fans. Uh, okay, New York Post at NY Post. Cops Tesla runs out of battery power during high-speed chase. <laughs> Not an onion story, a real story. <laughs> so this car, this cop is in a Tesla, and it's a, a battery-operated, and it runs out of juice. Mm-hmm. 
Can you imagine the, the, the bad guy just speeding away, like looking in the rear view, like, oh, that's embarrassing. Yeah, absolutely. And he drives by and gives him the finger and yeah. says, see you later as I go rob my next thing. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that is funny as hell. And it's not an onion story. So we've got onion stories coming. I love the onion story. All right, story. well, let's do an onion story. Onion Sports Network at Onion Sports. NFL reaffirms commitment to player safety by eliminating QB position. You know, <laughs> it's going to get to that point. It's good. You're, you're absolutely right. It's going to get to that point sometime. Bubble or, wrap. Or you're going to put them in a dress, or you're going to put them in bubble wrap, or you're going to, or everything's going to have to be shotgunned. There isn't going to be any direct snaps anymore in regard to the the quarterback going under center. I think it's going to get to a point where you have to snap it back like you're in shotgun formation all the time to give the quarterback that five, four to five yards of extra room to make his move. Um, you know, this is why I think it's so impressive what defenses are doing so far in the NFL. And I get that we're only four weeks in and offenses are still trying to catch up. But some of the things that the defense have been able to do this year under those very restrictive uh, guidelines, if you will, that they have to play under, I think it's impressive what the Bears defense, what the Vikings defense, what the Packers defense is doing so far this year. And I do have to say this. I know we're only four weeks in. Well, with the start of the fourth week. But that young corner for Green Bay, Jair Alexander, has been phenomenal. And I can't tell you how much difference he's made in our defensive outlook. Yes, we are getting a pass rush. Thank you to the Smith boys. But I got to tell you, this Alexander kid, if there's a guy on the defensive side of the ball for the Green Bay Packers that is untouchable, it might be number 23, Jair Alexander. Because what he did last week, and when he ripped the ball out from rookie tight end Noah Fant uh, from the University of Iowa, uh, second round draft pick. That was a great play. And would a lot of cornerbacks in today's game think about doing that? I don't think so. I can tell you, that rocket scientist Jalen Ramsey wouldn't have thought of that. And I think that uh, Jair Alexander is the real meal deal. And I think he's probably one of the best cornerbacks that we've had in Green Bay in ages. Yeah, a hell of a draft pick. And I think I remember we were watching and I, I know you didn't really know him that well at that point, And you weren't uh, all that happy with the draft right. pick at the time. But man, that's, right. that's been a great draft pick. Right. Okay. Speaking of, uh, once again, not an onion story. I think we can go ahead and just say Jerry Jones is senile. Okay, I don't think I should get a lot of no. Nope, you won't get any rebuttal from me. Okay, this is a real quote. I didn't make this up. The Onion didn't is make this, this up. Is this coming from the Ron Rob Gronkowski School of Brains? Um, it's 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 different. Okay, it's not just. Well, in a way, I guess it is kind of just a dumb jock. He's just so much older than Gronk. But okay, well, let's let's. I'm going to go to the quote, and I'll give you. Sure, I'm sure. just going to say the quote. It's, it's longer. It's a longer quote, but it's okay. Okay, but anyway, so this was the tweet was from John Machoda at John Machoda. So this is Jerry Jones on 10:53 the fan when asked about Robert Quinn's sack dance that he does after he sacks the quarterback. He has some dance he does. All right. This is the quote. I'll just leave it here and see what Mike has to say about it. <clears throat> Well, that's one of the best I've seen, riding that pony. You know what's fun is sometimes Zeke will do something like that. He'll put a towel on or put some shorts on and head down through the middle of the dressing room, kind of spanking himself as he emulates riding a horse. And that's before a game, so you can see what an asset he is on and off the field for the Dallas Cowboys. What are Jerry Jones and his son Steven doing when the games are being played? Up in their private owner's box. They must be going through some really good high-end scotch or something. I can't... 
why does Jerry Jones need to bring into the public forum what Ezekiel Elliott does riding an imaginary pony and probably slapping his own ass through the, the Cowboys locker room? I do have to make comment about something I heard about this week with a guy in, in um, you heard about the guy that uh, posted something on his Instagram and they got, oh, it was in Chicago's locker room. And Matt Nagy got all pissed off because some guy posted a naked picture of Kyle Long at his locker. No, I didn't see that. And again, why are guys posting things? This goes back to Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. And now this guy, I don't know who it was, but he posts on his Instagram account. And he was, obviously they were going through the victorious Chicago locker room after their win against Washington last week. But during this, Kyle Long had just returned from the shower. He's sitting there buck naked and his buck naked ass is now out on Instagram and all over the world wide web. So why do guys continually have to do this? I do not get it. And it seems like with that quote that Jerry's condoning it. I just, you know, I have said this, I don't know how many times, almost to the point that I'm tired of listening to myself say it, but the Dallas Cowboys are... As much as it pains me to say, I, I will say this, that next week's Green Bay-Dallas game will be the highest-watched television game of this NFL season. It always is. Those two teams are ratings gold, the Packers and the Cowboys. But I still think that to this day, Jerry and his boy, and his boy Steven, are not qualified to run an NFL franchise. They have made poor choices as head coach going all the way back to when they couldn't agree with Jimmy Johnson anymore and they bring in that has-been Barry Switzer. And the coach they now have, and, and I can't still believe this, that Jason Garrett has been coaching the Cowboys for <laughs> 10 fucking years. He's an idiot. He is a backup quarterback. At very best, he's a an offensive line coach or a special teams coach, but 10 years as the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, and it just fries my mind still. And I'm not a Cowboys fan. I don't respect the Cowboys. I lived in Texas for five years and I still hate the Cowboys. And even in San Antonio, where you're closer to Houston, you'd get more coverage of the Dallas Cowboys. Here's the problem. The Dallas Cowboys have not been real prevalent since their last Super Bowl appearance, which was 25 plus years ago, and that's preposterous for the most popular team in the National Football League. Okay, Deadspin at Deadspin. Andre Iguodala before being traded to Memphis. I'll probably end up in Memphis or some shit. Yeah, and damned if he doesn't. And now at least, because they believed that they were going to work on a buyout for Iggy so he could go. Iggy really wants to play for the Lakers. He wants to play with the... Uh, he wants to play with LeBron. He wants to play with Anthony Davis. He'd love to go back to Golden State, but they can't afford him anymore. Um, he would love to play in L.A., but Memphis was adamant that they were going to make a report to training camp. Luckily, somebody in Memphis woke up and just decided, at the very least, let's get something in trade for him, um, get something that they can you know, call an asset another player, some draft picks, something, not just buy out his contract because Memphis needs a lot of help. Um, but yeah, I thought that was funny when uh, Iguodala told his wife he'll probably end up in Memphis and damned if he doesn't. Um, but he will not play a minute for the Memphis Grizzlies this season for sure. 
Okay, so there's a tweet from the Tailgate Reporter at Tailgate Picks. Uh, I don't know if this joke will make any sense to you because I don't get it, so maybe you can explain it to me. But a guy here, a fan, is wearing a shirt that says, Scott Frost got cock-blocked by Lawrence Phillips. Any idea what the context of that is? I really don't. Uh, you know, Phillips it w- was in jail. He's dead now. He died in prison. Lawrence Phillips was a great running back in the 90s for the University of Nebraska. Led him to a national championship with Tommy Frazier years ago. Uh, I think was they won back-to-back. I think it was 95, 96, maybe 94, 95, somewhere in there. Tommy Frazier was the quarterback. Lawrence Phillips was the star tailback from Crenshaw High in L.A., um, he actually, if you, you may not remember this, but actually Lawrence Phillips was a third overall pick, I believe in the year that Peyton Manning was drafted. 98. Yeah. Manning was, was one. Ryan Leaf was two. And I think Lawrence Phillips was three that year to the LA Rams. Cause then Woodson was fourth or fifth. Woodson was fourth to Oakland. And that's what I believe was the final tally, something like that. But I do know either 97 or 98, Lawrence Phillips was the third overall pick by the Los Angeles Rams. He had some good years in LA. Uh, then the team moved to St. Louis and he didn't do so good. Um, and then he ran into a cocaine problem and then he started getting high on cocaine and he got, he got busted with, uh, some battery charges and then he got caught robbing things and then he ended up in jail and he died in, in prison, uh, being somebody's plaything. So I think that may have something to do with Scott Frost, you know, doing that with, with, uh, Lawrence Phillips, but unfortunately a talented young man who actually, you may not remember this, but he actually finished his professional career with the Calgary Stampeders in the CFL. Wow. Oh, that's interesting trivia right there. Oh. Okay. Uh, all right. Wrestling Observer at WONF4W. Uh, so this is the you know, the newsletter in wrestling history uh, written by Dave Meltzer, and he also covers UFC and some boxing as well. It's a, it's a must-follow for anybody who wants to know those things really well. It's where I get my best knowledge. And uh, by the way, I've, I've decided I'm going to start because uh, AEW starts uh, this Wednesday, uh, October 2nd, is going to be their first of their weekly shows on TNT. Uh, you can get it in Canada on BR Live, which is like 10 bucks a month on the internet. They've got arm wrestling and pro wrestling and uh, some other leagues. I forget what else they have. But anyway, uh, I'm going to start doing, I think I'm going to try doing... Uh, weekly reviews, like detailed uh, oh, really? write-ups, I think, and I can post it as a blog on our Patreon page, and I can, I can put it uh, since we're now going to start posting when you and I decide we feel like writing something. We'll put it on the main unscriptedmc.com yeah. page too. Perfect. So yeah, I think I'm going to start trying that because I've always enjoyed writing write-ups for uh, wrestling, and WWE just hasn't made me that motivated the last. Let few me ask years. you a question quick before you get into sure. this. What impact is the WWE in their moving to Fox? They're moving Showdown or Slamdown or whatever it is. Smackdown, yeah. Smackdown. They're moving Smackdown to Fox on Friday nights. How does that impact Vince McMahon and his business? Sure. So uh, what it means is, between that and another big television deal they just got, is for the next six years, no matter how bad the WWE is, even if they everything went wrong, their guys all get hurt, and they have terrible storylines and blah, 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 nobody watches... Uh, they are guaranteed to be profitable for profitable for the next six years. Wow, hundred percent. Now they're very profitable anyway. Right. But uh, this is like this is an amazing deal for them. It's it's uh, in terms of business success, it's fantastic for them. But in terms of 
creatively, I don't think it's good because it would just make them more complacent. Now, they are going to now finally face competition from someone with more money than Vince has. Right. And of course, the way Vince thinks, so they're, WWE has this farm league, essentially, not really, but I mean, their developmental league is called NXT. And so they, they have a show on Wednesday nights. So, of course, Vince is putting them there head to head with AEW, uh, the new show Dynamite, right. because to Vince, in Vince's head, he thinks like, oh, well, they're against my farm team. So they're in competition with my farm team. So they're not as good as me because he's a, you know, egomaniac. Yeah, total egomaniac. But anyway, and NXT does have some great guys, but uh, AEW, I think, is even better. Uh, I think it will be. And um, I don't know. Vince does need a kick in the ass. He was at his best in, in the Monday Night Wars when the last time TNT aired wrestling was Monday Nitro. Uh, right up the Monday Night Wars were amazing. Wrestling was so hot and it was such a good competition. And um, yeah, but then March 26, 2001 was the last Nitro. And ever since then, TNT hasn't had wrestling, but now they get it back. So it will be interesting to see. And uh, I hope that it leads to maybe, I guess the Wednesday Night Wars won't quite be the same because it's not against the main roster of WWE. Of WWE but uh, I think it's a kick in the ass that Vince needs. But yeah, he can be complacent and whatever because this this Fox deal is ridiculous how much money they're getting. So wow. yeah, but anyway, actually, but I uh, the headline I had wasn't even wrestling. It's UFC. Daniel Cormier returning to UFC for one more fight against yeah. Miocic. So this will be the trilogy fight. And what this is really more for is this will be, in my opinion, to decide the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. Because these are the two guys. Like, it it was. Like, before Cormier went back to heavyweight, like, he was undefeated at heavyweight, and then he ended up moving down to light heavyweight. Cormier comes... Or, sorry, uh, Miocic comes on the scene, destroys everybody, wins a few fights in a row, which heavyweights hardly ever do. You never win more than a couple in a row as a heavyweight in the UFC, it seems. And uh, so then he was called the greatest. Then Cormier comes in, not even a knockout artist, and knocks out Miocic in the first round, and, uh, and then was still undefeated. And then... Uh, when they just had their last fight right after Cormier had turned 40, Cormier dominated him for three rounds. And in the fourth round, um, Yochich was able to adjust and figure out that Cormier was really susceptible to the left hook to the ribs, and he was having trouble defend- uh, defending that. And then he did knock out Cormier in the fourth round. Cormier, very, very smart. Actually, both these guys are very, very smart. So Cormier will have a counter to that and will have a defense against that. But he said, win, lose, or draw, this is, this is the last fight. Now... I had read, and this is, um, I think you'd be proud of me. I, I've been doing a little bit of reading. Uh, supposedly, Stipe has an eye problem. Yes. So he said that. It, will that delay? Maybe a bit. But he's, look, he said that uh, he's like. But, as, excuse me, but oh, Cormier is committed yeah. to one more with Stipe. Yes. And, and that's we it. will see it. Yeah, we will okay. see it. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, Miochi said. Uh, as soon as I can see out of both eyes, we're having the fight. Okay. He's like, I'll be ready other than that. But as soon as I can see out of both eyes, then we'll have the fight. And, and that's it. And um, Cormier said he would go and talk with his wife and they'd really talk it out. And what should we do? And, and they came to the decision that you didn't want to go out with a loss like right. that. At least that one. Um, they've, they're at peace with if he lost again. I think Cormier will win the third one if he makes the right adjustments. And so uh, that's going to be interesting to see. But they've clearly decided that as a family that they don't want to go through the emotional turmoil of having to deal with a piece of shit like John Jones and all that comes with that. And it's just, you know, we never want to, yeah, like, I don't think you could handle a loss again. Like, it's just, it's too much to, to deal with human garbage like that. 
so I, they've clearly put that uh, to bed, and now it's, hey, well, let's have the trilogy fight with Miocic. Let's see who's the best of all time uh, in the heavyweight and division. And I think and that that's, that's a good way, and I think that yeah. there's, even in my brief learning of this, I think that there's a mutual respect and a mutual admiration between Miocic yeah. and Cormier, and it's going to be a hell of a fight. And uh, one that I think everybody will enjoy one last time. Yeah, I think so too. And and I mean, if you look at it from Cormier's point of view, either he wins and he's the greatest of all time and he can retire as champion and then give up the belt, vacate it, uh, or he loses and his only two losses at heavyweight in history were to the greatest of all time and both when he was after 40. Right. So either way, I think it's a good thing for him. And his only other losses period were to John Jones at least one of which Jones was cheating when it's turned to a non-contest. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I think it's the right decision for him, and then that's it. Okay, uh, really, I think the, I've only got really one more tweet I wanted to get to here. So uh, this is KSNV News 3 out of Las Vegas, at News3LV. And I figured this would be an interesting question for our own Mike Jensen, who could be qualified to answer this. Is dating difficult in Las Vegas? Survey says city is among the worst for singles. Yeah. Why? You think it'd be a great place to date me? It's a great place to meet and hook up. Mm -hmm. It's not a great place to have a long-term lasting relationship because everybody comes there from everywhere around the world and they have one thing on their mind, party, 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 party. Mm -hmm. And it's great for hookups it's great for a weekend, but for a long-term commitment, I can... An- oh, my God, I am so authorized to answer this question. And the, and, the, and the answer to the question is no. It is not a good place to have a long-term relationship. I met a couple of girls in Las Vegas that were residents, but most of the time, uh, me and my buds would go down to the Strip and we'd pick up some really nice... You know, and, and, and you know, they were there for a good time. But, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We all had code names, right? Nobody used their real name. <laughs> Classic. Everybody had a code name. We all had a code name. Everybody had, you know. What was yours? Dirk. I can't remember the last name. <laughs> but <laughs> you never. Nobody in Vegas uses real names. Oh, you know. I met Judy, my wife. We've been together 27 years, but I met her in a Vegas bar, the famous Shark Club that's no longer in existence anymore, right next to campus off of Maryland Parkway and the strip on the other side. Vegas is not the place for a long-term relationship. Vegas is the kingdom of hookups. If it's been a while, um, again, nobody asks anybody's names. Nobody asks where you're from. Everybody's just there having a good time and you hook up and get business taken care of. But to answer your question, long-winded, Vegas is not a place for a long, drone-out relationship. It is a hookup kingdom. It can happen any night of the week because Vegas never shuts down. Um, I remember the night I met my wife. We were out till 6 a.m. in the morning and it was a Sunday night. Um, <laughs> well, because the bars in Vegas close from six to seven and you can still stay in there, but they're just cleaning up the blood and the guts and everything else of what happened during the duration of the day. But again, right at seven o'clock, they start serving again. So Vegas is not the place. If you're looking for a long-term relationship, Vegas is there for the hookup. That's what Vegas is good for. Well, there are a lot of good things about Vegas, but in regard to dating, 
Long-term, no. Short-term hookup, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. We've got to run on this 399th episode of Unscripted. We thank you very much for joining us. Uh, brief programming note, uh, we are looking uh, for our 400th episode next week. We will have a special guest that's going to join us. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I will tell you that he's involved with his great knowledge of the National Hockey League. We're going to do a little preseason preview uh, of the National Hockey League, and we brought in, well, I can say it doesn't matter, Sean's been on the program before, and I'm looking forward to having our Vancouver Bureau Chief, Sean Dode, on the program because of his insights, his knowledge, and um, I can't wait to get him pumped up on a couple of questions about Jim Benning and the Vancouver Canucks. That'll be worth one episode right there. Can't wait for that. That'll be next week as we celebrate our 400th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.